push myself until everybody says I'm nuts. But let them think what they're gonna think. I'm gonna make them blink when I knock them on their butts. Hello and welcome to Camel Clutch Cinema. This is the program where we talk about movies that either star wrestlers or are about wrestling. And today's movie is Below the Belt, a 1980 film that was actually made in the 1970s. Craig Cohen, are you ready for Below the Belt? I am as bad as I want to be. Yes, I am. <laughs> directed by Robert Fowler, who only directed this film. This is a ladies wrestling film that apparently, and we don't know all the details, but apparently was started around 1974 and then funding ran out and then they restarted it closer to the to 1980 and had it out in time for eight, 1980. And what was the impetus on that apparently was Rocky. The Rocky films were so big that, you know, by the time 1980 rolls around, you people have really gotten into the concept of that. And so they were like, hey, it's Rocky, but with women's wrestling. It's based on a book. You want to talk about the book? Sure. Uh, it was written by uh, pop artist, novelist, and Obie Award winning playwright, also Emmy Award winning uh, writer on Lily Tomlin's 1973 CBS comedy special Lily, uh, she shares that award with 15 other writers, <laughs> Rosalind Drexler. Uh, in 1951, Drexler pursued a brief career as a professional wrestler under the name Rosa Carlo, which is the name that's used in this movie, right. the Mexican Spitfire. Um, also of note, Andy Warhol made a series of silkscreen paintings based on a Polaroid he took of Drexler dressed as a lady wrestler. And uh, she went on. she went on to write the book to smithereens, which is billed as the inspiration for Below the Belt in the opening titles. Right. An unusual way to put it, but they they didn't say based on, you know, the inspired by. Which was interesting because they then they go, they don't call her Rosalind Drexler in the movie, but they do use the Rosa Carlo, the Mexican Spitfire name. Mm-hmm. So it's it's interesting. I, I I'd love to read the book. I know it's been re reissued, I think, this year. So maybe I'll go back and, and take a look at it. Uh, Regina Baff, we, we mentioned, who was in this, does not have a lot of other credits, but she's pretty good in this film. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I think I read that she had won a Tony in uh, right around the time that she made this movie, starting in the 70s, at least. Yeah, I, I read that. And, and then I looked at the um, Internet Broadway database, like the IMDb for, you know, Broadway. Yeah. And she's got a few credits, but nothing, you know, it, and she may have won a Tony. I'm not saying that, but she doesn't have a huge body of work in that either. So I don't know exactly what uh, what became of her. But yeah, this is that's always interesting for me when I watch movies from. 60s or 70s or even going back to the 50s are these are people that you know were working actors at the time and you know i guess we have those actors today but you don't really think about it as much until yeah. they're gone right exactly that's when you notice that they're not there let me do the plot summary here Wanting more zest in her drab life, waitress Rosa Rubinsky takes a leap into the world of professional women's wrestling. She trains with veteran wrestler Mildred Burke and learns the ropes as she meets a variety of colorful characters. After changing her name to the Mexican Spitfire, we see her train and travel in a series of montages and scenes with colorful wrestling personalities. Eventually, she has to face off with the bigger and stronger Tommy Dukes. However, she fights valiantly and ducks a frog splash finisher to out last Dukes earning respect in the wrestling world. The fans chant her name, a montage begins, and credits roll.
Now, this came out in 1980, and at the time when this came out, I I was able to find this, and I gave a copy to you, the AMC Theater's list of what was playing in Florida theaters you know, on this weekend when this opened, which was Halloween weekend. It was like October 28th, I believe, 1980. Yeah, and which is can- interesting because I think we both discovered that on the IMDb. It's listed as being released in December, so it was very cool yes. when uh, when you dug this up. And it's I- also a, a, a great ad. I found some old news articles. It was released in Los Angeles in December, which probably is where the December date comes from, because somebody would say, well, probably went to L.A. first. Uh, But it looks like it was down in Florida before that. And there's an article from the New York Times from 1983 that talks about it as a new movie. And I also found one article that called it uh, that said also known as and I believe they called it a woman's passion. Um, which I guess was an alternate title, but I found nowhere that that had ever been used. So I think this was always below the belt. Uh, I know it was on home video as below the belt in AMC theaters in, in 1980 for 225, you could go to the dollar saver matinee and see below the belt. Yeah. And if you were a student, it would, it was only a dollar 75. All right. Now, if you look at this sheet, what would you go see? Let's say you're, you go back in time, 1980, uh, we'll say you, you you have to see below the belt. What would be the rest of your day? Well, uh, assuming I'm seeing the 2.30 below the belt. All right, so you're going to start it off with below the belt at the Tyrone Square 6, which yeah. was in the Tyrone Square Mall, all right, at, at 2.30. <laughs> all right, so that would take us to around, uh, what, 4 o'clock? Sure. Let's see if there's anything here at 4 o'clock. You need, you need one of those matinee times. Or maybe you can go cross town and go see yeah. something at one of the other screens. Yeah. I'm going to say my first show, I'm not going to start off. I'm finishing with Below the Belt. I'm starting off with Empire Strikes Back at 2.15. Nice. That's a good play. I was actually trying to find a way to fit everything in around Smokey and the Bandit 2, which is playing at... <laughs> Six fifteen for a dollar seventy five, and then at eight thirty. Right, and that's over at the Countryside Six, which was on Highway Five Eighty East. Yeah, and unfortunately, this the starting times at the Countryside Six for Smoking the Bandit Two and Below the Belt are almost the same. Yeah, it's 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 rough. You, you'd have to really you'd have to really choose. Uh, I might want to check out Loving Couples at six p.m., which was looks like it was rated PG. So I don't know how loving it was, but I might check that out for a buck seventy-five. Yeah, you or, know what I might do? Or no, let me say the Ninth <laughs> Avenue showing of Frank Sinatra and First Deadly Sin looks good because that's a that's a single screen theater. And yeah, it looks really good because you're going to get the big house there on the Ninth Avenue AMC theater. Yeah, on the on the reverse side of that coin, though, I, I could drive down to the Seminole Two, and where all seats, all times are a dollar, and see a double feature of Honeysuckle Rose, and, and then the Blue Lagoon. <laughs> I would have to finish things off with Below the Belt, uh, but there's a nine fifty five show Below the Belt, so I think I might be able to squeeze in Motel Hell at the Countryside Six just before it. it well, yeah, that would be pretty fitting. I don't, I, I. I don't think I've heard of Motel Hell, but I assume it's a horror movie. Yeah, and I'm assuming it's it's about a motel. Yeah. It, you know what? There are so many choices here. It almost makes me feel bad that there aren't as many good choices this weekend in the cinema. Yeah, this was a, this was an interesting time. Back then, you would have in your area, in my area, we had three movie theaters. And, and I don't remember back to 1980 that clearly, but I can tell you in the late 80s and the early 90s, we had three theaters. And when Batman Forever comes out, 
it would be at one of those three theaters. And, you know, and, and whatever else came out that weekend would be at the other one. And, you know, you'd, yeah. you'd choose your movies, you know, you'd choose your theater, I guess, based on what movie you wanted to see. So it wasn't like you had a favorite theater necessarily. You did have one maybe you preferred, but you would say, hey, I really want to see Below the Belt, so I've got to go to the Countryside 6 because that's where it's being played. And these are AMC theaters, and and, and I, I know I was talking to you the other day, and we talked about how the, the logo for the AMC hasn't changed over the years. Yeah, I thought that was amazing, and I and I guess it's because when I was a kid, I don't think I really had any exposure to AMC in in the area that I lived. Well, what I loved about AMC was they built, I think in the 1970s, they built a bunch of theaters. They all were very similar in look. There was, you know, the same color carpeting, the same color seats, the same basic configuration, and all the signage was the same. And what I really like is every now and then I'll go into some small town somewhere and I'll see an old AMC and I'll pull up, I'll buy a ticket, I'll go in, and it'll look exactly like the theater I saw (laughs) E.T. in as a kid. I mean, it'll look identical. Oh, that's great. Yeah, it's fantastic. So let's talk about Below the Belt. One thing I want to get into is right off the bat, they show footage of wrestling. And I want to talk about the footage they show throughout this. The movie came out in 1980. So in 1980, Bob Backlund would be champ and you were starting to go into the Hulk Hogan era. You wouldn't be there for a few years, but that was kind of the transition from the Bruno era to the Hogan era was the Bob Backlund era. And Mm -hmm. The footage they show here is clearly of the of the of the Bruno San Martino era. It looks like it was shot on one night and throughout the length that they that they did this film every once in a while you will see, you know, they'll go to arena and you'll see 30 seconds of wrestling footage and it'll be wrestling footage of either Bruno San Martino in a match with I think the mask superstar which was Bill Eady Axe of Demolition. This was a very young Bill Eady. He was, you know, just starting out with the Grand Wizard in his corner. Okay. And Bruno with Arnold Scullin in his corner. And you also would see Bruno with the WWWF title. Which, uh, W-W-W-F. That's right. A lot of W's back then. And uh, he had that title twice, and the second time was from 73 to 77. So by the time this movie came out, you know, Bruno was, was no longer champ, was, was, you know, on his, he hadn't retired totally yet, but I mean, he was, he was a guy from the past and, uh, one of the greats from the past. Don't get me wrong, but that this footage probably seemed very dated to the audience in 1980. You also saw footage of Captain Lou Albano and the Valiant brothers in a three man tag against somebody else. And you saw a little person match. And yeah. I'm going to say right now, from now on, when we talk about this, in this regards to this movie, it's a midget wrestling match. And I know that's an offensive term now. I wouldn't use the term midget in any other sense. But back then, that's what these matches were called. And this was a midget wrestling match that's promoted within the context of this film. Yeah. And it's a it's an exciting uh, three or four matches. I think there's like one other one that they show pieces of. But the problem is they show weird pieces from odd angles and they're cut very quickly and they don't seem to really fit in the flow of this movie. And as we talked about, this is a woman's wrestling film. So (laughs) it would have made more sense to have footage of women wrestling. Yeah, yeah. So we open and she's working at the concession stand. Yeah. And the guy behind the counter is saying, oh, my God, look at all the people here. They're here because of the biggest woman's wrestler ever, Tommy Dukes. Yeah. And then he and goes, I, I've seen them all, right? Yeah. 
And he says, I've seen, I've seen the fabulous Moolah. I've seen Mae Young. And then he, he rattles off a bunch of other women's wrestlers. But I thought it was great that right off the bat, we hear fabulous Moolah, who's a name that's very familiar to people. And Mae Young, who just appeared on WWF television, WWE television within the past year. Yeah, with her son. Right, her son, the big hand. But, uh, you know, it was great hearing those names because those are two legendary women wrestlers. And uh, I can't imagine you'd make a, a, a movie about women's wrestling and not include their names. Right. And and their trainer, uh, both of them were trained at least partially by Mildred Burke. And she is the headliner for wrestling fans to this movie. And we'll get to her very soon because she's mentioned in the next scene. So she's working at this stand. A hot dog vendor comes up, tries to put the moves on her. What do you think? Um, I thought it was kind of interesting that the guy chose this scenario to put the moves on her. I mean, <laughs> he's wearing the the striped shirt yes. with the um, you know the, the the hot dogs you know strung in front of him, you know, hanging around his neck. I just think if I if you're going to make that move, you gotta you gotta come a little bit more uh, prepared. <laughs> You got to be dressed a little better, you're thinking. You know, you don't want to go right from hot dogs, get your hot dogs here. To, hey, baby, you want some hot dogs? <laughs> it's not a good transition. It's not a good look. And uh, he gets rebuffed. She she knocks him, knocks him down, you know, uh, uh, fights him off a little bit. Mm-hmm. And standing by, as chance would have it, is a is a wrestling promoter who goes, Hey kid, you got Moxie. You got you got a lot of spunk, kid. You need to go see Millie Burke. Millie Burke will train you. Yeah, you know that's one way to get her to to Millie Burke. Um, <laughs> it I don't works know. for me. It works yeah. for me. Um, it's, it's the movie way to do it. Exactly. Now, uh, Tommy Duke, who we'll see throughout this, is a woman's wrestler. She was played by Jane O'Brien, who was pretty famous in the in the era of the seventies and eighties. In nineteen seventy seven, she was the first Hawaiian Pacific champion. She won that in August thirty first of nineteen seventy seven. She was a a big burly looking woman's wrestler. She, she was, she was strong looking. She had, you know, I think some scars on her face. You see like the, the the might've been some teeth missing, some gaps in the teeth there. She looked like this woman and she had one heck of a Travolta chin. (laughs) Yeah. Which did it have something in it at one point or was that a mole? A gem you think? Yeah. I couldn't tell if she was doing like a Jesse Ventura thing or if that was a mole. I don't know, but she looked, she looked tough and there's not a lot of footage of her out there. So it was neat to see this. Uh, I did look online and I found one or two other smaller matches she had done, but I found a lot of information about her. She was, she was a pretty well-known wrestler and interesting that she's in this. We'll see her a lot throughout the movie. We also see another interesting professional in the next scene, which is the boyfriend of the character Rosa Rabinsky, she goes to see her boyfriend at the radio station he works at. Yeah, uh, Terry, her boyfriend, played by Fraser Smith, who's a real DJ. Yeah, so he's a real DJ out in L.A., still working today. Apparently, he's a well-known comic as well. He's on Twitter. I tweeted him, told him we were doing this, and he didn't uh, didn't reply to me, sadly. But uh, I asked him if he had any memories of this, and I guess he doesn't. But... <laughs> but he shot this scene with with in the in the studio and i can almost imagine that it was just a matter of he knew the director or he auditioned or whatever and they said oh you're a dj can we shoot at the the radio station cuz that'll look like an exciting location look like we have some money in this movie yeah and it it would amaze me that he's still in the industry if he's doing the show 
that he did in the movie. <laughs> yeah, in the movie, he's taking calls about UFOs and talking about wrestling. And just it seems like the most distracted show you've ever seen or ever listened to. He's taking calls where he's like, oh, not you. I don't want to hear. What do you have to say? All right, whatever. And he just he really he's uninterested in the callers. Yet for some reason, he lets them drone on for long periods of time. Yeah. <laughs> well, to do that so he could have a, a conversation with with uh... with my lady, I mean, yes. with lady, he <laughs> he feels very California in this, which uh, most of the people in this feel very New York. But uh, mm-hmm. he's he's an actor. He's also been in in Blank Man and The Fisher King and 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 done a lot of films. Uh, but but we see him a few times throughout this, and the thread that'll come through is he's not interested in her wrestling. There's a few scenes that may have all been shot in a day or two with him, and mm-hmm. then you'll see he just takes off. Yeah. Gets out of Dodge. So she goes to the gym, and this is pretty exciting. We go there, and we see Mildred Burke, who looks phenomenal. She's older in this, but she looks like she could still tear some, you know, turn some heads off and, you know, just really, really hurt people. Oh, and- yeah. She's great. She's giving tips and she's like, you got to fight for real. No goofing around. And we also see the beautiful boomerang. Yeah. Who is as who, who says several times in this movie, I'm as bad as I want to be. I'm as bad as I want to (laughs) be. Great catchphrase. She kind of, I got a a very, like a dirty Cindy Lauper vibe from her. I really liked her. Oh yeah. Yeah. She was great. And and the thread with her is she trains with with uh, with Rosa Rabinsky and she's teaching her the ropes and they become very good friends. And there's a scene that comes up a little later where they they're goofing around. They're having a good time. Then they go out and, you know, they're they go out, they get something to eat, maybe. Then later they they are hanging out and she goes, do you do you want to be friends? And she's like, oh, we were friends, boomerang. And she's like, oh, and she's very sad. Yeah. We will find out why in a few minutes because now we've got to go to lunch with the stepdad. Isn't it odd how she goes to her stepdad's work to interrupt him? Yeah, that seems to be a trend she's got. She interrupts her boyfriend in the middle of his shift and then she interrupts her stepdad while he's trying to sell microphones. And it's an odd scene because she interrupts him so they can go out and get something to eat. But the the whole plot of the scene is she goes, hey, I want to be a wrestler. And he goes, you shouldn't be a wrestler. And they've already done that scene with the boyfriend. And they do it again with the boyfriend after this scene. There's like multiple scenes with the same plot. But they go out for hot dogs, which is odd because she didn't want a hot dog at the beginning of the movie. No, but uh, so um, based on the, 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 the menu board behind them, I, I picked what I would have gotten at this restaurant. Um, I'm going to read right. the choices. You tell me what you're going to order at this tell restaurant. Me, tell me what is on the menu board in Below the Belt when the stepdad takes out Rosa Rabinsky to talk about wrestling over hot dogs. All right. You could get a traditional hot dog for 50 cents, mm-hmm. a kraut dog for 50 cents, mm-hmm. a cheese dog for 55 cents, oh. a chili dog for 60 and you can get a bag of potato chips for 15 cents. Oh, man. All right. Uh, all right. I am getting, uh, definitely getting a bag of potato chips. Uh, this is 1980, so there's probably not going to be a lot of selection on that. It's just a bag of potato chips. Mm-hmm. But I'm going with the the uh, the chili dog, and I'm mm-hmm. crunching up some potato chips and putting it on top of there, and the cheese dog. All right. All right. My- See, I, was on the, I was on the fence here. I went chili dog just because I think by default, if if I go to a hot dog stand and, and they have chili dogs, I'm getting them. But then also, there's got to be more to the kraut dog than just sauerkraut, right? 
Well, no, but it's free. They, I mean, the, the sauerkraut is free. They're charging you five cents for cheese, ten cents for chili, nothing for sauerkraut, Craig. Good point. Good point. All right. This isn't good sauerkraut. A piggyback on your order and get the same thing. Yeah, you see now, and and you also you got to get yourself a cold what Pepsi Mountain Dew. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Mellow Yellow. <laughs> I go Mellow Yellow. It. Yeah, they probably back then. Tab. Oh, man. I'm going tab. And not only that, I'm going tab, and they're going to give me one of those straws with the paper on the top, you know, like the bottom half. the, the pa- No, they're going to give me a paper straw because this is 1980, and they were still using those wax paper straws. <laughs> you know, you weren't getting a plastic straw with a twisty top. This was this was a paper straw that if you suck too hard, it would flatten. <laughs> That's fantastic. Fantastic. So an unnecessary scene. We get some more training uh, and waitressing scenes. And these are done in montage. And this is a big theme in this movie. There is a ton of montage in this film. Yeah. Sets of music that basically tells you what is happening. Right. It's like a narrator singing, saying, she's moving in the right direction, going to be a wrestler now. You know, I mean, it's really, and some of it is even autobiographical. It's a, I'm getting stronger now as I'm wrestling. Look at Mildred Burke watching me. I mean, it's almost as goofy as I'm making it sound. Oh, yeah, yeah. And the, and the only frustrating thing here was you could tell that it was sort of an afterthought to do this because... They play this over scenes where characters are talking to each other and they looked like full scenes that they said, okay, we don't know how to cut this together or we couldn't be bothered to cut this together or we just don't have enough footage to cut it together. Let's just montage it up. Yeah, and and the montage, there's like 10 montages. No joke. This movie is like two-thirds montage. And I I think it's just got to be that they shot earlier footage. Maybe they'd never looped the dialogue for it and they couldn't get the actors or actresses back for those scenes. Yeah. But it, it's an odd choice. Uh, we do get a little bit more with the boyfriend before he takes off. And we get the scene, which you and I had talked about, which is just phenomenal, where they're in the apartment and they've got this moonscape. Oh, yeah, right behind the bed. And this is something I really miss from from that era. I remember as a kid going to like my dentist's office and depending on which room you went into, he would have like the forest room or the, you know, the, the, the mountains room. Oh, it's so true. I remember every year we'd go to Olin Mills to get our family photo and they'd pull down the background and they'd be like, do you want the snow background? Do you want the beach background? And no matter what, we were all dressed in our Sunday best, you know, with the, with, with a tie and a clip on tie and a little, little sport coat. And we were at the beach. We were, we were on the slopes, you know, it didn't matter. And it made perfect sense. Back then it worked. So they got this beautiful moon wallpaper, gigantic. I mean, we're talking six, eight feet wide behind their bed. You know, you just, you turn around and you're, you're on the moon. Oh yeah. So then we get the, the, the culmination to the, you want to be my friend scene, which (laughs) is apparently being friends was friends with benefits. And so she goes, she goes, um, she goes, you're my best friend, you know, Rosa. You're my best friend I have probably in the whole world. And she's like, yeah, you're a good friend, Boomerang. I love you, Boomerang. And she's like, you love me? <laughs> <laughs> and she's like, how about I love you? She goes, she goes, how about I love you? I'll love you. You don't have to do nothing. I'll just love you. And, and Rosa kind of rebuffs it. You know, she's like, well, you know, I'm not at that stage yet. She, yeah, you know, I wasn't she, ready. Yeah, she doesn't she doesn't smack her down like the hot dog guy. She's just like, look, I'm I'm not there. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I'm not on the beach with you. 
<laughs> but it's an interesting scene, and that's it with Boomerang, because almost, you know, a scene or two after that, a montage or two after that, there, there's the scene where Rose is moving on, and Boomerang is moving on in a different direction, and we never see her again. She goes off to Montana to hang out with cowboys. And I think that perhaps the 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 touch of the the lesbian crush may have had something to do with the two smithereens book. Maybe that was a plot thread that was very heavy in either Rosalind Drex, Drexler's life or in the book. And yeah. they were like, you know, let's put a little touch of that in here just to as a nod to that story. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And the, the interesting thing about Boomerang being dismissed as well is. They choose um, <laughs> Rosalind to to go on the road. Yeah, uh, who's that? And they overlook Boomerang. Yes, who seems like she would be a better fit in that you know in terms of woman wrestling in that era. Boomerang's a pro. Rosalind doesn't look like to everybody. They say she doesn't look like a wrestler. She kind of looks like she would fit in today because she has a body more. Uh, uh, akin to, you know, like Gail Kim or, or, you know, a diva today. But back then, women were a lot stockier in, in, you know, pro wrestling. And she, you know, throughout the movie, they're like, she don't look like much, but she's a spitfire. She's great. So it is, it's an odd choice. And I don't understand this promoter because she doesn't wrestle until the end of the movie, but somehow she seems to have a job until the end of the movie. Yeah, she's got a pretty sweet gig for a while. She she rides from town to town, seemingly doesn't do anything. You know, she's not doing, you know, like setting up the ring or anything, oh. you know, arduous like that. But so she gets to see, you know, that the, the, the South and she gets to hang out with people and she gets paid for it. We do get a, a training montage I, I want to mention quickly because it's got a couple cameos in it. Uh, the first one's Lenny Montana, who is throughout this movie, shows up several times. There's one scene later where he shows up where the promoter says, hey, I want blood in this in this match. And, and, and Lenny is like, uh, blood costs extra. You got to pay 15 bucks for blood. And I love that scene just because doesn't that feel authentic? Oh yeah, definitely. It 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 made me feel like that's how it went back in the in the the mid to late seventies. You know, where the promoter asked for something, you negotiate it, and he paid you cash on the spot. Exactly. So Lenny Montana, you know, shows up several times in this film, uh, just you know, as a pro wrestler in it, and he was a very well known pro wrestler. He was the AWA Tag Team Champion. He was. Uh, NWA champion most, uh, you know, in, in many different times. He, and the way NWA worked back then was they had NWA Mid-South, NWA Cleveland, NWA whatever. So he yeah. had multiple different title runs with the NWA. Very well-known wrestler and then went into acting and is far better known for his portrayal of Luca Brasi in The Godfather for, thank you for inviting me to a daughter's wedding on the day of your daughter's wedding. You know, he is, he is Luca Brasi who sleeps with the fishes and it's really cool to see him here in something, you know, where he's, he's playing a wrestler, which was something he was well known at before the second part of his life and career. Yeah, it was it was it was something about him that I didn't know. I mean, I'd never really gotten deep into his history. And I think it might be because in The Godfather his performance is so good. Yeah. You know, it's better than most wrestlers deliver. Well, one of the things about The Godfather performance that's legendary is he screws up a lot of his lines and they left it in there as a character trait. And so a lot of his performance is based <laughs> on the fact that he messed up. But he's fantastic <laughs> in this. So he's it's Lenny Montana. And the other wrestler you see in here is Tiger Joe Marsh. 
Okay. And this was a world champion in the 1930s. And did you see him there with the bald head, really burly looking man with his arm around, you know, Mildred Burke? I'm thinking he may have just shown up to see Mildred Burke. And, you know, they were like, hey, can we get you in the film? And they filmed him. Yeah. But he also had an acting career. His best known role probably is he's he's the big burly naked guy in Beware the Blob, which was the Blob sequel from the 70s. He runs up to the cops naked. It's, it's a very funny scene. But he did a few other movies. He did Escape from Witch Mountain. He was on an episode of The Munsters. But the connection I have to him is this. I was at my wife's mother's mother's house. So this is my grandmother-in-law's house. Okay. And I'm going through some old photo albums with my grandmother-in-law. And I see a picture of a big burly man. And I said, you know, this George the Animal Steel looking guy. And I said to my, my grandmother-in-law, I said, who is this guy, you know, with your husband here? And she says, oh, that's a, that's a wrestler that used to be friends with my husband. And I turned to my mother-in-law, I'm like, what, are you, what is she talking about? She's like, oh, that's a, a Tiger Joe. He was a wrestler that was friends with my father. And I was like, I've known you for a decade. How did this <laughs> ever come up? There was no point where you ever thought, and they're like, well, he, he died years ago, you know. And I'm like, yeah, but this is, that's an icebreaker. If you ever need a conversation conversation starter you say hey my dad was friends with tiger joe marsh so yeah that's awesome i have seen footage of him clowning around with my grandfather-in-law at universal studios they're the three of them posing with uh with frankenstein you know so tiger joe marsh my my wife's grandparents and frankenstein you know a guy in costume at universal so this guy was a close friend of my of my uh grandmother and grandfather-in-law so Tiger Joe Marsh, very cool to see him in this. Yeah. We have uh we have the next scene as the film goes on is the scene we talked about Boomerang's taken off to Montana, Rosa's taken a bus to Miami, uh the DJ's taken a, a a trip to LA. Everybody's going in different directions and they don't meet back up. You no, know, in a lot of this films, is where the movie starts. <laughs> yeah, in a lot of films, you're expecting this is all going to come back, but it never does. Uh, we, we do see her training with Billy Mahoney. And Billy Mahoney is an interesting person to be in this because I looked her up and I thought for a moment, I said, well, this can't be the same Billy Mahoney. But it is the woman that's in this movie and one other movie. She does not have a big career as a movie actress. But she plays a an accomplished woman's wrestler in this, and she's instead a world-famous dancer. She's now in her 80s. She can choreographs the Bill Mahoney dance troupe. But she had toured with Bob Hope and Lionel Hampton and been on TV hundreds of times, you know, doing dance performances on Ed Sullivan and things like that. So it's yeah. phenomenal that she's in this and she's pretty good in this. It's yeah, I actually, until until you told me her history, I just assumed that she was a woman's wrestler. Yeah, it's very, it's very strange. So we go from that to uh, to a scene with the with the midget match. They show another clip of that. What'd you think of this clip? Oh, this was great. I mean, we get some some blood, some bloody midgets here at the end of the match when they're leaving the ring. There's at least two of the four midgets have full crimson masks going on. Yeah, it's great. It's a it's a great scene, you know, and it reminds you of the day that wasn't too long ago when wrestlers would bleed. 
Yeah, yeah. And there was also a, a period where probably every card you went to had a midget match on it. Yes, it was a big time thing. And they would do a, they do a fun little run. The midgets would run under the referee's legs and he'd, you know, turn around and then they'd, they'd fight with each other, but then end up fighting with the ref and they'd usually bite the ref on the behind. Yeah. You know, there were a lot of little, little gags that they did. And the midgets that are shown in this film, I don't recognize, um, I, I know, you know, there were a lot of famous ones. You know, everybody knows the ones that wrestled in the King Kong Bundy, uh, Hillbilly Jim match at WrestleMania three. The pinnacle of probably the pinnacle of re- midget wrestling, yeah, I would it's, say, right? It's, it's the, it's the, yeah, the very top. And so I, I, these weren't those guys. You know, this wasn't <laughs> Little Beaver. This wasn't the Haiti kid. Uh, this wasn't Sky Lolo, but there were some guys in this and they're probably well known and, and I'd love to know more about them. Again, they show all these wrestlers so quickly. Mm-hmm. You really have trouble recognizing them. I mean, the first shot of Bruno in the movie, I didn't recognize him. And this is Bruno San Martino. I mean, this yeah. is like grandma's favorite wrestler. This is a man I've met and talked to and have seen hours of footage of, but he's shown so briefly. I was like, I think that might have been Iron Mike Sharp or Bruno or about five other guys. Yeah, yeah. We uh, we get a, another addition to the roster of characters that we're going to see throughout this movie at this point, which is Shirley Stoller, and she plays Big Trish. She was an actress. She's play She's a large woman, and she's playing a large female wrestler. And she was known for a movie called Seven Beauties, where I think she plays like a Nazi guard or something, but I never saw that. Apparently, she was also great in a movie called The Honeymoon Killers. Never saw that. But I knew her as the mean neighbor, Mrs. Steve, on Pee Wee's Playhouse. Yeah. Okay. I mean, she and she's in multiple episodes. Very unattractive woman and played it up. You know, she yeah. was, she was uh, uh, never smiling. And she was seemed to be, from what I've read, an incredibly nice woman. Uh, but she played this mean character and everything. And I found an interview with her from 1986 talking about this movie. Oh, great. She says, when I returned to New York, I almost lost a job by being back a few days later than I thought I would be. It was a wrestling film called To Smithereens based on Rosalind Dexter's autobiography. I remember one time we nearly froze to death. It was winter and ice cubes were put in our mouths so steam wouldn't issue forth. We were shooting under bleachers at Randall's Island wearing bathing suits. They had to have wood stoves, brandy, and blankets. It was about 10 degrees. The director, Robert Fowler, reshot half the film five years later after the star Regina Bath had a nose job and looked totally different. Eventually, it was released as Below the Belt. I didn't have much of a part. I hung around and talked out of the side of my mouth. <laughs> <laughs> That's great. Yeah, this this was a fantastic woman. And I did notice, you know, you can see the progression of time on Regina Bath. I could not spot yeah. the nose job. But there is, you know, people look, change a lot, especially this woman was probably in her 20s and then in her 30s. So yeah. it's an interesting film almost to watch from that point of view. And I would love to be able to, you know, get a commentary track on a DVD of this someday, because then you could find out, you know, what scenes were shot when, you know, it'd yeah. be very interesting to find out. Maybe when they put out the DVD, because as of right now, this movie, the only ways to see it are if you get the old VHS, mm-hmm. if you go on Netflix like you and I did and watch it, it's on Netflix. It looks beautiful, pristine, you know, wonderful print on there. And occasionally it shows up on MGM 
uh, on demand and impact on demand on cable. So it's a movie that you can catch, but it's, it's hard to find unless you got that Netflix. So it's yeah. definitely worth checking out. And one of the interesting things there is you mentioned MGM on demand. The, the, the MGM lion is the first thing you see when this movie starts. You get the MGM, you know, t- title or, or, or whatever you want to call it. And it always makes you wonder how movies like that end up being owned and distributed at some point by MGM. Yeah, I, I think it's got to be something where, you know, at some point this was sold to some company that then sold it to another company and then MGM bought a gigantic library that included this because I can't imagine there was a deal for, for <laughs> Below the Belt. It's sort of like when you go to the store now and you buy those those sets that are like 100 movies. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> Except done at a much grander scale. There, there is an interesting thing about Shirley Stoller that I want to mention very quickly. Uh, there mm-hmm. was a model in the 1950s named Shirley Kilpatrick. And there was an urban legend that apparently has been debunked but was very interesting that these two women, there was this cheesecake-thin model, and then there was Shirley Stoller, and they both looked very similar. And the belief was at one point – Shirley Stoller, you know, had changed her name from Shirley Kilpatrick when she had gained a lot of weight. And there was a lot of evidence to to back this up. The times worked out. They both looked, you know, if you look at photos online, it's amazing. Uh, but it turns out to be a, a hoax, but it's fascinating to hear about. Oh, wow. The the next part of the movie, there's a thread, that, and this runs throughout again, but we'll talk about this thread right now, which is the thread with, with John and Vernie. Mm-hmm. This is a husband-wife. Uh, the husband was played by Dolph Sweet, who was the cop on Give Me a Break, who died yeah. during the run of that show, and, and they, the show continued without him. Wonderful curmudgeon actor. And then the wife, her clothing are played by Mick Foley's clothing. Yes, and one of the biggest stars of this was, was Mick's, Mick Foley's flannel shirt. <laughs> yes, it was fantastic. She's got, you know, the Mick Foley flannel in almost every scene, including this first scene where we meet them and they start throwing out a lot of information that doesn't do anything but maybe give more heart to the film. Yeah, but at the same time, it sort of almost brings a darkness to the film as well because you see this couple who have been in, in the in the world of pro wrestling for 20 years at this point and they're starting to realize that the life's not going anywhere for them. And it's basically them debating back and forth about quitting it. And it, it's, it, there were some great scenes, but they felt very out of tone with the rest of the movie. Yeah. I, I think this movie wants to be a drama. I think that's mm-hmm. what it's trying for. It feels like a comedy, but I think it wants to be a drama. And this couple, they, throughout the movie, he keeps saying, I've been in this too long. I want to give it up. There's a, a great scene where he kind of loses his mind and, and uh, starts blading, you know, just cutting his forehead and bleeding and laughing. Yeah. And then asking also who he, who he's supposed to be that night. Yeah. He's like, what gimmick am I in this town? Am I the alligator hunter? Am I the, you know, the Viking? And it's, it's an interesting thread. It ends at the end of the film. It ends with him saying, I'm leaving. And she says, I'm staying. And then he leaves and she races after him. And then he stops and takes her. And so they leave. And yeah. that's the one thread that, you know, that you got to get out of wrestling. But there's another thread that's going alongside that, which is Rick Mancini as Tio. Yeah. And, uh, 
let me tell you, Rick Mancini had a 30-year career of movies. He started acting in movies when he was about 40 years old. He played a cop in Ghostbusters, a mayor in Friday the 13th, Part 5. And he also worked with WrestleMania 1 main eventer Mr. T in an episode of The A-Team. Nice. And his final role was as a front row fan. I don't know if this was an extra or a, a featured extra part or or what, or maybe there's a line or two, uh, but in the film Ready to Rumble, the WCW movie. Oh, wow. What a fitting last movie. <laughs> so we see this thread with him where he's the opposite of the couple. He loves the business. The business has been good to him. People mm-hmm. ask for his autograph. People love him and it's done good things for him. And so we see him throughout the movie and there is a uh, he's got a love triangle going on with her and James James Gammon. Yeah, the, 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 uh, I remembered him as the coach in Major League. Yeah. I mean, this is the grizzled old man that we saw in lots of movies in the 90s, you know, starting back. I mean, this guy was in Bonanza. But I mean, you know, in the 1990s, he had a very big run, Major League. Uh, He was also in Cabin Boy. He's really funny in that. He was in the voice of one of the country bears. It's a sign. I mean, really (laughs) great gruff voice, big mustache. And he's young in this. Yeah, it definitely seemed like this was uh, his his scene. Uh, or I, it, was it yeah. only one scene? He's got a few scenes because he yeah. he sees her a couple times. They have an, they have a one night stand that she doesn't think is a one night stand, and then Tio yeah. tries to cover for him because he's such a nice guy. Yeah, um, I definitely thought that those were the scenes that were shot in the seventies, nineteen seventy four. Yes, it's definitely true. They, I mean, because he looks really young. Yeah, so so there's a run with with the two of them, which is kind of interesting. The other run that we see throughout the movie is the traveling scenes, yeah. and there's scenes where they're going down the road and they're throwing beer cans out back, you know, out the window and saying that's how they'll find their way back. There's the car crash <laughs> where they drive off the road, yeah. and sure, big 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 Trish, I think her name was Shirley uh, Stoller, gets out. And the car flips over. They're like, no, don't get out. And when she does, the car flips over. It's like a funny little gag that the car would have been okay if she stayed in it because she was being the counterbalance. Uh, But I like the road scenes. I think they're a lot of fun. Oh, yeah. And there's one sequence where they're uh, they're telling jokes about – 400 pound yes. elephant prostitutes. Yes. Um, yeah, I, I think it really showed sort of the, you know, the sense of family that you get when you're on the road with people like that. Yeah, there, there's also the weird scene with the girls in the car where they where they steal a gun from a guy at a gas station. And then there's the talk about gun control. Yeah, very weird political, you know, speech. And it's, it's interesting that, you know, for a, a film that's over 30 years old, there's political discussion very yeah. similar to that going on today well, let me tell you if you went back 30 years before that i think you would have found it and if we have a time machine and go 30 years in the future it'll probably still be going on uh. but it's it, it is interesting that it's in this film and it's one of those scenes where you don't know what the director's saying because they give the line about guns but then they give it to a buffoon so you don't know <laughs> whether it's pro-gun or, or anti-gun it's 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 a weird little scene yeah. But it's fun. It's fun. It's, I like the road scenes. I enjoy the travel. There's the scene where they're all at the pool, which I think is at one of the hotels, and they change her name to the Mexican Spitfire. Yeah, and this was a, a great scene just for the pool alone. Yeah, it's beautiful. It's a beautiful set piece. You know. Yeah, they had that nice, like, fake, uh, almost like mini golf grass. Yeah, it's that AstroTurf. 
Yeah, and it looked like it was an indoor pool, but you had the the, the skylights. Mm-hmm. It's beautiful. Yeah, and it, it was also a good scene where where she gets her name and she keeps saying that she doesn't like it. Like I don't like it, and and he's like the Mexican Spitfire, even though you're Polish. You know, it's it, yeah. it's total. I mean, that's a wrestling you know trope of the old days. You it didn't matter what your nationality was. Your nationality was whatever they wanted it to be. Yeah, and you and and the audience bought it. Yeah, the audience totally believed it. I had a friend that years ago said he he had a he lived in a trailer park this was an older guy that i had worked with and he said that his neighbors were local pro wrestlers that played russians in the ring and he said when he would talk to them they'd talk like this have sudden draw and he would say to them he'd say well how are you from russia and they're like we're from the southern part of russia Oh, that's great. <laughs> so, uh, on the way through the, the thread that carries the movie, the main plot starts early on in the film is Jane O'Brien as Tommy Duke shows up and says, we're going to have an initiation. We're going to initiate Rosa. Yeah. And so she takes her in the ring and takes her to town. Yeah. She puts her in a Boston crab in record time. Yeah. She, she, I mean, this is, this is a quick tap out. Yeah. So she's really tough, far tougher than the Mexican Spitfire. And the Mexican Spitfire has never wrestled. So there's a thread throughout this that she then goes up and the the promoter's like, go say something nice to her. She's the big star. And so she goes up to the big star and is like, hey, you know, why don't you teach me some of those moves, you know? And she's like, I'm not going to teach you nothing. Not to a runt like you. You're a runt. You know that? You're a runt. And it's uh, it's it's very odd. She uses the word runt multiple times to describe her. That must have been the biggest insult you could have in wrestling. Yeah, and I guess if you're going to play the uh, below the belt drinking game, that would be one of the uh, one of the things you set up. She's a runt. You know, she's a runt. This is a runt over here. So they this thread goes through that this movie plays it that wrestling is fake but the thread throughout the movie is that there is a fight that's going to happen obviously at the end of the film between yeah. Tommy Dukes and the Mexican Spitfire in the ring and the belief is that Tommy Dukes is not going to play by the rules that she's going to shoot and she's going to hurt you know uh uh the main character yeah, yeah, because we, we see a scene earlier in the movie where she does just that. She she sends a, a girl out on a stretcher. Yes, and this is an interesting match because the woman wrestler that she's wrestling in this, this is uh, Jane O'Brien as Tommy Dukes wrestling against a woman named Princess Warstar. And from what I understand, this is the only footage of Princess Warstar wrestling. There's still pictures that exist, but this is the only footage. And she was a small wrestler and, you know, so she's size-wise comparable to the Mexican Spitfire. She gets taken out. You wow. know, I mean they stretch her out in this movie. And so the whole time Rose is afraid that she's going to get in the ring and get killed. Yeah, yeah. That's amazing though that that's the only footage that exists. You know, it's it's so crazy to think that, you know, it's 30 some odd years ago, which isn't that long ago in, you know, entertainment terms. Um, and there's just no footage of this and it's yeah. almost lost to history. We we do have to to assume, though, that it may be out there. It just hasn't shown up on the Internet. Nobody knows about it. Maybe <laughs> it's, it's, yeah, it's on a reel of film in somebody's attic or in Vince's vault. There's, there's oh, a right. chance that when when uh, the below the belt DVD comes out, it'll come out from WWE films. Oh, my fingers are crossed. Um, we, we do get a scene of a marquee uh, in Tennessee or no, Tallahassee. 
And yes, and I shot up out of my seat instantly. Tell me about it. Well, you see on the marquee uh, the name of the headliner for that night, Dusty Rhodes. And boy, did I was I hoping that we would get some footage of Dusty Rhodes, and unfortunately we didn't. But just the, the name alone on the marquee, you know, brought out the uh, the Dusty Rhodes mark in me. We also see the other name on there is the Stomper. And the Stomper was a famous Canadian professional wrestler who wrestled under the names Guy Mitchell, the Stomper, the Mongolian Stomper, Gentleman Jerry Valiant, <laughs> among other names. And uh, he wrestled in the WWWF, and he was uh, a co-holder of the WWWF tag team titles. And I did look this up. In 1975, on January 3rd, at the Tallahassee Sports Stadium, the Mongolian Stomper defeated Dusty Rhodes in a lumberjack match. So that may be the match that was happening the night that they shot the, you know, the sign out front. Oh, wow. Too bad we didn't get any footage of that. Yeah. Well, we get uh, we get to the main event, and they're, and she's nervous. She doesn't know what to do. Mm-hmm. Tio gives her some advice, says, you know, just go out there and do a good job. And she's worried because earlier she talked to uh, Tommy, and Tommy wasn't gonna wasn't gonna wasn't gonna rehearse. You no, know? he's gonna shoot. And so they get they get to the dressing room, and all of a sudden Tommy's kind of cool. Yeah, except she keeps saying, "Don't don't f me, don't f me." Yes, yes, and she don't censor herself. No. But she she does say, we'll just do some keista bumps. You got a good keista, we'll do some keista bumps. And yeah. so it sounds like you're going to get a regular back and forth match. Mm-hmm. But they get into the ring, the match gets really rough, and then after a few minutes of wrestling, which is not very believable on one half, the other yeah. half, Tommy Dukes, Jane O'Brien doing a great job, Regina not doing such a great job. Uh, also during this scene, I, I do want to say you can see that there's not people in the crowd. There's some, but it's a very dark ring and it doesn't look like all the other footage we've seen of wrestling where they lit the crowd and let you see that there was 20,000 people there. There's yeah. not a lot of people hanging around for the, for the match, that, you know, that's taking place in the movie. Uh huh. So, and as we knew at the beginning, this is the draw. Bruno's not the draw. The draw is Tommy Dukes. She's the biggest of them all. Yeah. <laughs> so she comes off on this frog splash. She she almost hits Regina, but Regina Rosa, the Mexican Spitfire, rolls out of the way, mm-hmm. and then Tommy dies. I, it's it definitely unless she sells like you know like death, <laughs> she definitely uh, landed on something that that shut her system down. Yeah. There, because because uh, Rosa doesn't even get a pinfall here. No, the referee's just like it's over, and Rosa looks a little concerned, but the crowd's like, "Hey, we don't care if Tommy gets stretched out. She's evil. She killed that one woman. She ruptured her stomach. They told <laughs> yeah. us earlier, and the woman had beans on the brain. <laughs> yeah. Any more beans on the brain? Yeah, beans on the brain. By the way, that should be my. I, I might use that Twitter handle if I ever have to change mine. <laughs> So that is the end. We then see the cast again over a, you know, a footage of each character. So we get to see who everybody was, which mm-hmm. I really like. It may have been done to pad the movie, but I, I enjoy that. Yeah, I always like those those endings, especially for certain types of films. That they're they're really effective. And I like where you get to see everybody in happier times too. You know, where yeah. it's a nice shot of everybody before before things went terribly wrong. Mm-hmm. So. Interesting film. Interesting film. Yeah, I'm uh, glad I watched it. Let's talk about If You Tapped. Okay. Um, you know what? While I was watching this, 
I, I really enjoyed it. It had kind of an episodic nature that almost made me feel like I wish that this had been spread out as a TV show possibly. Um, but I also thought it handled the, you know, the, the world of professional wrestling at that time in a manner where they didn't just sort of dumb it down for you. They just sort of pre- presented the, the, the industry and what it was like to live in it and work in it uh, and be a fan of it. And I, I think that was a good decision. Um, I did not tap. Wow. All right. Well, let me tell you, I watched this movie three times. Mm-hmm. I enjoyed a lot about it. I enjoyed the the scenes where they show them setting up the ring and setting up everything in the arena and people mm-hmm. filing in. I enjoyed seeing this time period, even if it's kind of shown at a weird light, you know, even if it's shown in choppy little bits with Bruno and, and Captain Lou. I did feel the montages make the movie go by pretty quickly. You know, it kind of goes by smooth because of that. Mm-hmm. I liked Regina's acting in the movie, but I didn't buy her as a wrestler. I didn't buy her as being tough. And I didn't yeah. buy her as being able to be in the ring with Fabulous Mula or with Wendy Richter. I just didn't see it. I mean, uh-huh. it, there was something missing there. The movie seemed a little convoluted, which obviously is you know, the best they could do, I guess, with what they had. Yeah. But the montages kind of make it go down. But there are parts of this movie where I'm not having fun. It's <laughs> dragging its feet. And, and I kind of want to get forward in it. There's other parts where I'm having a great time. And I really want to see more of it. I would say you could almost chop off the first third of this film Save for the Mildred Burke scenes. I do like seeing those. But if yeah. you chop off the first third of this film, it's a better film. But then it's under an hour long. Yeah, yeah. The wrestling footage is not long enough for in sequence, with the exception of the Princess War Star match, for me to recommend it on that. Yeah. That match is worth seeing, but it's on YouTube. You can see <laughs> just that match if you go on YouTube. And so reluctantly... I tap out on this. I tap oh, wow. out on this film. I tap out because they didn't do the best they could have done with this. The smarter way to do this, when you show those wrestling scenes, show them longer. Give yeah. me give me two minutes of Bruno wrestling. And you know what? I'm going to like it a whole lot more than two minutes of watching her pretend to train. You know, give me 30 seconds of her training, two minutes of Bruno I'm going to look at this and say, hey, this is this is something. But reluctantly, I tap out. I would say if you're a big wrestling fan and you want to see, you know, the Princess War Star match, look it up on YouTube. If you get a chance to see this, if you already have Netflix, put it on and see if you can make it through it. It's just not a great film and I can't recommend it. Mm. But I had fun watching it at parts. Sure. Yeah, yeah. There's a reluctant tap out. Let's talk about wrestling during the time when this was released, which is very different from the time within the film. Yeah. Um, we, we found some pretty cool uh, cards that took place at this time. There was, there was a New York City card that took place on October 20th. So this would have been the weekend, you know, this is the 20th, and then the movie came out like the 28th, so this maybe the weekend before that. But this looked like a pretty good card. Yeah, and it was televised on the MSG network, and it featured Vince McMahon commentary, which is yeah. great. Oh I, oh, I love young Vince McMahon doing straight commentary. Yeah, but we've got some good guys on the card here. We had, we saw Rick McGraw, who was uh, who was the guy who famously died, you know, after having a match with Roddy Piper. Yeah, and we also have Pedro Morales. 
uh, fighting Ken Patera for the WWF IC Championship. Yeah, a lot of and that ended in a double disqualification. What's interesting about this is 1980, you see a lot of names in this, like Terry Taylor, who went on to be the Red Rooster. You see mm-hmm. Rick Martell, who was, you know, the Can-Am connection. You see, you know, a lot of these guys that you would then see for years, you know, years later in different gimmicks or modified versions of this gimmick. It's kind of interesting to see this was when a lot of them were younger. There was also a card that, that was around this time that we found that was from the day that John Lennon died. Yeah, that was later in uh in in December. And that was pretty neat. I mean, the fact that you know that that the day he died, they were at Madison Square Garden putting on a live show is just kind of neat to know, you know. It must have been uh, I mean, it was a sad day for everybody, but possibly at that time some people didn't know that he had died. You yeah, know, oh, yeah, this, yeah. This was not, you know, there was no internet. You didn't have it on your phone. So maybe a lot of people, you know, didn't find out until the 10 o'clock news. And so they didn't know they're in the arena there and they don't even hear about it. So it's kind of an interesting era for pro wrestling, uh, the 1980s. It's kind yeah. Of and also one thing with a lot of these cards, you were getting um, TV tapings for all-star wrestling. So you were getting probably what would, would turn out to be weeks of televised wrestling all in one night. Yeah. Very cool. They would shoot, you know, a bunch of matches and then put them together in whatever order. You know, remember, remember primetime wrestling where you'd get Gorilla and Bobby the Brain Heenan sitting at a desk, you know, the, <laughs> the nightly news was going on and they would then just throw to matches. They'd be like, let's go to the Boston Gardens, you know? Yeah. It was a, it was an interesting time. Yeah. Well, pre, pre internet when you could get away with doing stuff with that, with, with like that without word spreading. Well, this was an interesting movie. Again, uh, I had never heard of this before this, uh, before we brought it up for this. I don't, I mean, I may have, you know, glanced at it at some point in, you know, a bio of Mildred Burke or, or mm-hmm. something like that. You know, possibly when I looked up Tiger Joe Marsh, I saw the title, but I've never had an opportunity to see it. And I was, I, I'm excited that we got to talk about it. What do we get to talk about next time? Next time we are going to be talking about the WWE film Knucklehead starring The Big Show. Oh, this is a fun one. I, yes. I I will tell you, I have seen this film at least once. I bought the DVD and it came with something which I'll, I'll try to watch again and, and talk about, which was the WWE's biggest knuckleheads. Uh, it's a DVD with Santino and a bunch of other clowny type wrestling characters on the front. So that should be fun to, to go. And over. as, and also as of this recording, uh, it is, it is up on Netflix. So if you haven't seen it and you want to, Watch it in preparation for our episode. Uh, drop it in your queue. Very good. And it's also uh, much easier to find than below the belt. You can go on Amazon and purchase it. You can go to Walmart. It's probably like $5 because they really discount the older WWE titles there. So you won't have to pay the $20 I paid for Knucklehead when it first came out. So we've got a real movie. It's one of the WWE movies that has a pretty substantial cast, which we'll talk about, of actual actors and actresses. So that'll be a lot of fun. Well, Thanks for joining us today, Craig. Thanks a lot. Thank you. We'll see you next time with Knucklehead here on Camel Clutch Cinema. So you want to wrestle, huh? You're too little. We got ushers bigger than you. Leave. I got to take a crap. Don't you see? Your skills plus my skills in the ring. Tag team. Howard Patrols is John Triton. What are you doing up there? Staying away from you. No more rhymes now. I mean it. Anybody want to feel that? What's that smell? Down goes Jimmy King! Oh my god, a four-post massacre! No one can survive this! This isn't even a pay-per-view!
Craig, did you mute? What happened? Oh, man. I can't hear you. I'm sad. Hello? Hey! Sorry about that. My mixer is uh, battery operated. I am so freaking happy that that was not on my end. Yeah. Next, uh, next week we're gonna, or next time we're gonna get, um, we're gonna get new again, and we're gonna start that over. <laughs> All right. Okay. Yeah. Three. Um, one. What are next we thinking? Episode- oh, 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 okay. Okay. <laughs> Three, two, one. Yay! We got awesome. Started. We got through the episode. Woo! Yeah. Nothing broke.